Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I'm Dan Lyons. I'm Dan Enden. And we are bringing it full fucking circle today, folks. Um, yeah, it's a little bookend. We are shitting where we eat and finishing off with a James Bond movie as our season finale. We started out our podcast uh, with a James Bond movie. Um, and since then, uh, and in season two, we've kind of been trying to do this sequel episode vibe, which fell apart as soon as the world fell apart. Um, but uh, we're coming around to the tail end of the season here. We wanted to give people one more James Bond experience. And by people, I mean just Dan Emden. <laughs> in that first one, in that first episode, you referenced that we were going to need to do this movie at some point since it was made by the same group of ragtag fucking idiot morons. <laughs> the original group of ragtag morons. I don't know who said that. And then when I found out that there was a new James Bond coming out, I was like, yeah, let's pivot to that instead because <laughs> surely that will be more enjoyable. Well, in all of Dan's pivoting and grandstanding, he was unable to avoid watching this movie. So um, today we're going to go from Scaramanga to Kananga in 1973's Live and Let Die, a movie where James Bond, taking the virginity of a generationally human traffic tarot card reader, may be the least offensive thing across the entire movie. 007, Black Man in Blackface. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you are alluding to the fact that there is a black man in blackface in this movie. I'm sure we will get there knowing our interests. Um, and uh, before we do that, before we go down the old Bond rabbit hole one more time, we're going to bring in a special guest. Um, this is special guest number three after a bloating, aging uh, wax sculpture actress and a guy who couldn't talk about Sonic the Hedgehog in fear of reprisal from his work. Our new guest for the you day is... We skipped over our significant others, both having been on the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, again, we are bringing in a guest for today. That guest is a renowned Rental Zone member, a listener to the podcast, and an expert on this fantastic and wacky, wonderful series, James Bond. Josh Boyer, introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dan and I used to work together. We're excited to be here. Uh, excited to actually get to talk to Dan besides insulting on the rental zone. Uh, I'm sure the debate will be just as mature as it is on the rental zone. So I'm ready for that. Did you purchase a spit guard just for this? Uh, I was given this spit guard. I, I sent it to him. Um... No, he didn't. <laughs> so let's start off with a couple questions right off the bat that I have for you, Josh. Nothing written down, just kind of spitballing off the top of my head. So you and Dan worked in the same place. Which one of you was better at your job? Dan. Okay, wow. Look at look at Dan's like very proud of himself right now. Look at that smile. That, that was the smile of I didn't want to have to have to undermine his answer if it was something else. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of us had our salaries cut before COVID. Oh. <laughs> My salary was never formally cut. <laughs> This has now turned 100% into a business Zoom. <laughs> yeah, well, until one of us says, I'm sorry, I was on mute, then I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, only one of us now still makes a living wage, so I'm okay. With <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Josh, you are a longtime movie blues listener and James Bond fan, so let's start off with the basics here. Uh, why? Why? <laughs> uh, what did you think about when you listened to our episode on Man with the Golden Gun? Was that a frustrating experience for you? Uh, I think it was an entertaining experience. Uh, I was threatened. My life was threatened by Dan Enden to listen to said podcast. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I think there was a lot of uh, emotional distress coming out during that. I think uh -huh. there was uh, 
some maybe subconscious uh, disgust for men with wealth coming from certain <laughs> parties. Yeah, we'll touch. I'm, I'm sure that'll come up uh, this episode yeah. as well. <laughs> as I promptly delete like half of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this just a comment to insinuate that Dan Endon only hates James Bond because he's rich and privileged? Uh, that's exactly what this is. Good, good, good. <laughs> he works. He works for a secret government organization that uh, bags people. Uh, is he James Bond, or are you referring to me and Antifa? Uh, I'm referring to James Bond, but I'm re- I understand your fears as Antifa. <laughs> I think if a white blonde male approached you on the street and grabbed you without telling you who he is, you might be afraid. I, I feel like it, you know when 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 you do a, a critique, particularly in a scholarly fashion. You know, there are a lot of schools of thought. You can do a postmodern critique. You can do a feminist critique. So I think it's worth noting the the paradigms that we each approach this from. Whereas Dan Lyons, I feel, approaches things from just like a generally um, ambivalent, cynical, white, and like just like discontented male perspective. You have me at white. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, in as much as Jews are white. Um I, I I tend some to people might things, disagree. I tend to uh, come at things from you know a more Marxist perspective, and um, Josh Boyer is going to be bringing our first uh, our first libertarian reading into into society as seen through the eyes of James Bond. So James Bond pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say that I only identify. Um, as as non-white when I'm being racist. Uh, so just so we are we're all clear on that. Everyone who listens to the show knows that. Like when push comes to shove, I cannot be uh, blamed. You teeter-tot between utilizing your privilege and completely dismissing it as it yes. sees fit for you. Like if we learned anything from this movie, a rubber mask is not blackface. So <laughs> is, is that is that what we learned from this movie? <laughs> Well, um, before we dig too far into that, I think we have some things to talk about in terms of James Bond in general. I, I, don't, I don't care. Dan and I both had like a thing when we were kids that I think we both went through periods of time where we both really liked certain James Bond movies. Um, and we were both into the whole James Bond franchise for a moment or two. But I think, you know, as we've grown up and become responsible adults, we've completely abandoned that. Whereas you have not, Josh. Um, <laughs> You're literally using the word responsible. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, some people as they get older tend to see the flaws in the military-industrial complex, and um, you know the countless litany of betrayals of the Geneva Convention that these films portray, um, and see those as a negative. Whereas certain certain right-leaning people see them as more of a romantic uh, skirting of world law. Dan, you need to differentiate between good old-fashioned fun and human rights violation right off the bat. All right. Me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I think I think some of us have our, our our own home office, and some of us hang drug rugs behind us in their living rooms. <laughs> uh, I'll have you know that uh, this is a tapestry in as I am. This is my living room. This is my significant other's yoga room. This is an extremely appropriate uh, decoration for a yoga room. I would say. Oh man, I'm gonna love the next two hours. Maybe from two white people from the Northeast. (laughs) 
I'm done. Thanks, everybody. I've been Dan Lyons. <laughs> let's uh, let's check out the contest here. So so here so so here's basically um. I'm having a hot flash. Here's the compromise. This was supposed to be. This was the debate between yoga room and home office. So uh, COVID has facilitated that. So as you can see over here, this is how we get the uh, the yoga room area. But when you go over here, this is my shit. And then Just over so here. everyone knows, because this is an audio medium, Dan is showing us his privileged white yeah. Middle Eastern cribbed yoga room. Um, yeah. Uh, this is a cultural appropriation of many different levels that he's now trying to justify. Uh, just going to let him get back to the tour. Go ahead, Dan. Um, so over here we have my monitor set up. I'm thinking um, maybe I, should I should I bring should I bring Cat up here so we can discuss no. whether uh, whether her yoga practice that she does twice a day daily is cultural appropriation. I like that Dan also specified that it was a yoga studio slash office and not yoga studio place he masturbates. You know what, Dan? I got to say, like, so far, um, I think that what we needed this whole time was a non-Jew in this podcast. Hard disagree. I, I would go, I would venture as to say that anytime you introduce Goyim into a group of two or more Jews, it's ultimately and always a net negative. <laughs> Look, have there been a few instances historically where things have turned out not okay? I mean, what do you got? A handful of examples at best? So, uh, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with the Bond series and how you became so interested in such a fantastically bootlicking IP? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I will first start with that. Um, my father, when I was a kid, bought me the complete VHS collection of James Bond films. Oh, well, lottie frickin' duh. <laughs> Way to have a dad, brag. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dan? You know what I'm doing? <laughs> you catch that one, Dan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, Dan. I, I caught your reference to me not having a father. You and Josh are the same. He found his dad's VHS collection. You found your dad's body. <laughs> Solid, dude. Solid, right? <laughs> save it, save it for the side pieces. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna shut up now. Go ahead, Josh. So uh, that was like the late '90s. So I was like a, a boy, a young boy, like eight years old or something yeah, like that. How old are you, Josh? Twenty-seven. Okay. So you were, you were like, you were a kid during like prime Pierce Brosnan era. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I thought Pierce Brosnan was the man. Pierce Brosnan, I would make the argument that Roger Moore made better films than Pierce Brosnan did if you get rid of Goldeneye. If you get rid of Goldeneye, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I haven't even seen all the Roger Moore movies. What, what, uh, what was there besides Goldeneye and The World Is Not Enough? Was there Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never, Never Dies? Dies? Yeah, that's a piece of shit. And Die Another Day. Yeah, yes. that's, that's, that's with Haley Berry. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's a trash pile on a trash pile. I mean, Halle Berry's a smoke show, so I can live with just watching her in a film and just be like, yeah, this is fine. Is that is, is that okay in like your your Christian marriage to refer to women as a smoke show? I mean, yeah, I'm not sleeping with her, and I don't think Halle Berry's <laughs> calling me anytime soon. So, <laughs> okay, I'm just trying to get the ground rules here. I'm generally uncomfortable around Goyim. How has this um, escalated into your uh, years as a quote unquote adult? How have you kept up with the James <laughs> Bond series? Are you? Um, Still watching them semi-regularly? Are you subjecting your wife to them? What does she think about it? What's the deal at uh, this point? She hates all of them uh, cool. by far. Will not Word. sit through a single one. She thinks Sean Connery's a pervert. Probably. Uh, I, yeah, she's like, why is Sean Connery slapping that woman? And I'm like, Kel, I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? This is classic. 
Abuse is classic. Yeah. What are you talking about? You've clearly not uh, gotten up on the lore and depth of character that is James Bond. Slapping a woman to him is like brushing our teeth for us. Yeah, right. I mean, look, that is that is a direct quote from Sean Connery. Sometimes I get a little crazy. Gotta. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. That's my dude. Yeah. Sean Connery, renowned piece of shit slash extraordinary gentleman. <laughs> slash uh, most important male figure of the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, um, before we launch off into uh, live and let die territory, what is your take? I'm going to remind you of our take on um, Man with the Golden Gun, our first episode, the first Bond uh, film that we looked at on the podcast. Um, I absolutely hated Man with the Golden Gun. I thought it was maybe one of the messiest, most absurd, and, and I don't use the word absurd lightly because now that I've gone back and kind of listened to the episode um, that we did on it, it's really one of those movies where you cannot get more than one scene without having to literally pause the movie and do it in a complete existential breakdown on the decisions that led to certain imagery, certain lines, certain choices. It was one of the most like wrong-headed movies I, I think I've ever seen. I really, truly was upset by it, and its strangeness was not like a purposeful thing that resonated with me. Uh, the movie made me sick. I hated it. Um, it, it, it took as long for me to watch man with the golden gun as it took for the Jews to wander out of Egypt. Um, I will never watch it again. It's on my wall. Uh, currently right where we have the scoreboard. I have all these movie blues artifacts that we've pinned up to the wall. Um, and I put the VHS tape for Man with the Golden Gun, the case up there, but I took the tape and threw it in the garbage. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think for the uh, the intro to Golden Gun, I wrote um, more of an essay about the intro scene alone than I did for like my entire final thesis for my screenwriting class in college. That speaks a lot to your quality of education. But um, yeah, um, what is your thoughts on the Man with the Golden Gun? So definitely not. I mean, so I will say every movie was good to me when I was 10 years old. Right. I mean, right. I think we can all say that I watched all of them and thought masterpieces. Right. Sure. Uh, I think I rewatched. I could have done without. <laughs> yep. um, I rewatched uh, Man with the Golden Gun probably a few years ago. So I got I, it was after Skyfall. I got were the you all recording a podcast. No, by choice. I, I chose to. Oh, by choice? I didn't know that was possible for me. Yeah, right. By game. choice. Um, so I got, I have, so I said I have three generations. So I have VHS, I have DVD, and I have Blu-ray. So uh, early 2000, or early, late 90s, my dad bought me the VHS. Early 2000s, I went out in middle school and bought the entire collection on DVD. Where, where and, what, and what was your your income stream in middle school uh, that was that was mowing lawns and uh raking leaves in new england selling overpriced uh, wrapping paper to other gentiles in your neighborhood yeah absolutely man which you then turned around to invest in a james bond box <laughs> we had literally no jewish people in our neighborhood truly shocking and uh i was the only kid that wasn't catholic so i was ostracized for not being roman catholic because everyone else was italian or irish because I grew up outside of Boston. So, wow. but anyway, so, and then in college, I bought the entire Blu-ray collection uh, again, just to punish as myself. One does. As one does, as they become an adult. There's many and, movies that needed the UHD treatment. It's the Albert uh, R. Broccoli, Roger Moore era Bond films. 
Uh, I believe you mean actually watching Sean Connery as a 60-year-old man in Las Vegas is really where I wanted to go with the treatment. Yeah, that but, reference doesn't land for me. Oh, uh, that is Diamonds Are Forever, my friend. Ah. Yep, no, we've never seen that one. Move on. Oh, you guys are killing me. So anyway, Man <laughs> with the Golden Gun. I rewatched that probably like three years ago, and uh, my heart broke watching uh, Dracula perform probably his worst performance ever like the ultimate phoning it in bad guy he's smoking a blood your takeaway was that christopher lee was the problem in that movie <laughs> no christopher lee was not the problem my heart was broken that christopher lee oh, right. was subjected to this role i think right. equally like you guys said Lawrence fishburne was in soul man that was james earl jones but that will be the first of many racist mistakes to yeah. happen this episode surely <laughs> If you were to look up and buy a single-shot golden gun right now, like on Gunbroker, you'd pay an astronomical price for basically what's a lighter with a tube attached to it. Oh, wow. So you've gone the extra distance to try to find the weapon itself. The oh, memorabilia gun. for sure. I don't need to buy a golden gun to know that I'm a one-shot kill, you know what I mean? In bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, knew, we knew you meant in bed. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I feel like we have uh, talked enough and yet not at all about James Bond yet. Um, uh, I think we've got the notion that Dan and I are pretty disaffected with the series at this point and have not enjoyed what we've re-explored. Um, I think that you've made it clear that you've got nostalgia goggles on for these movies, which is adorable. And have modeled your life after such. Yeah, and have oh, modeled yeah. your life after the character Knickknack from Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> Josh, do you do you do you think there's a line to be drawn between your between your love for James Bond and your love for guns? A hundred percent. I mean, look, the M&P five that uh, Pierce Brosnan uses in, in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. I love that like, gun. That's a great sick. gun. I love like I love a lot of the the parts of the Brosnan era films kind of on their own. I love the video games that are associated oh, with yeah. it. E even the ones that aren't GoldenEye, I did play and, and had like moments with here and there. Um, I, I did enjoy and see in theaters um, GoldenEye, which is still my favorite of any James Bond movie. Um, and uh, I did see also, I think every other one except for Die Another Day, because like even at that point in my life, I knew that it was not going to be okay. I think it was... I might be wrong about this, but I think it was the same year that Batman and Robin came out, uh, or within a year no, of it. No, no, that was it was, that was, it, was it was significantly later. It was like two thousand, two thousand one or something like that. Because well, I yeah, was Daniel playing Craig. the Another Day game on PS two. Um, yes, I had my on parents were still together, so that was probably two thousand two. What I'm trying to say <laughs> is that like there was a point at which like the franchises that revolved around like chauvinist dated ideas kind of were all hitting the same point of absurdity and failure kind of all in the same period of time where like all of my major heroes from movies whether it's indiana jones or star wars or anything else all pretty much were torpedoed uh in the same like six seven year period of time um and that left me with kind of a sour feeling uh in my mouth about the whole bond franchise but i th <laughs> think a that sour feeling in your mouth I think that um, <laughs> Daniel Craig's movies minus Quantum of Solace, which I think is oh, maybe the worst James Wholeheartedly Bond disagree, and I'll argue with you on a different podcast about that. Oh, no, we're going to do a little bit of it right now because that's a terrible opinion you got there, man. Have you watched it? Have you watched it in the past four years? Yes, 100%. I've watched and all... And you thought it wasn't more accurate as far as a real criminal controlling water supplies, U.S. involvement in a third world country, right? 
You're talking about Wait, you mean literally the plot to Golden Gun? Let let me make let me make something clear. I want to make something really clear about about not only this, but about almost all James Bond films. And I, and and this goes without seeing like 18 of them probably at this point as a rewatch as an adult. One of the major issues with uh, the whole bad guy plot, etc., of a James Bond movie is that more often than not, the plot of the bad guy, and this goes for both Golden Gun and for Live and Let Die, the plot of the bad guy is based on like what's kind of culturally going on in the world at the time. Oh, for sure. But the rest of the bad guy's plan and execution and representation in the film has almost nothing to do with that plan. Um, like in Golden Gun, it was about the energy crisis, but none of the movie was about the energy crisis. Um, in this film, it was about um, controlling these large shipments of heroin. But like, in actuality, 98% of the movie had absolutely nothing to do with that. <laughs> you could have watched about- the entire movie and had no clue it was about heroin. Yes, but it was it was the 70s and any movie predominantly featuring black people had to ultimately uh, portray them as heroin dealers. Yeah, that was a big thing in black exploitation, which yeah. we're going to get into. Yeah. Um, if people can't tell by now, I don't think we've got, done a good job of setting it up particularly, but this is the James Bond movie in the black exploitation era, and the characters, setting, and um, bad guys, and vibe of the movie cribs a lot from the black exploitation genre while completely missing the point of it in many ways, but you can tell that this is the black James Bond movie for whatever yeah. reason. Um, this was the way to go with, like, as they were debuting Roger Moore, maybe the whitest person yeah, to ever exist right. on planet earth. In, in reference to quantum of solace that we kind of jumped off from here on, um, I hear you that the plot at the time was fine. My, my issues with quantum of solace have absolutely nothing to do with the villain who is aggressively mediocre or his plan, which is topical, oh, but extremely boring. Um, the problems with Quantum of Solace is A, it is directed by somebody who does not understand that the Bond franchise requires a certain amount of elegance with its action and set pieces. He did not understand that and shot it like a Jason Bourne movie. So it's incomprehensible. Half the fighting, half of the scenes, uh, you know, I don't like nine cuts in 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be honest. If I am coming into a James Bond movie to watch it, I'm not coming in for its topicality. I'm not coming in for anything other than it needs to look good. It needs to sound good and it needs to be fun. And Quantum Solace is like one of the biggest, most egregious examples of how you can take an idea and just drain it to the point where it is so boring that it's unwatchable. Uh, I will I hate, agree that I hate it, it was hate it. I don't hate it. I like it a lot, but I will say if you are all the points you made are reasonable, right? Like if you're going to compare Quantum Solace to say Casino Royale, right? The one before it, it's just night and day. So it, you know when you when you have a checklist in mind of what you're expecting, and I think that was the whole reason why it didn't do well either. Is what you said, like it wasn't a Bond film; it was Jason Bourne English, right? Which is fine. Like let's let's consider the idea that we could ground James Bond and make him more realistic and his fights more realistic. But the problem is, the movie before Quantum of Solace rebooted James Bond. We didn't right. need another grittier take of James Bond. It already existed. We had Casino Royale, which is an absolutely excellent James Bond movie. Um, I think that Skyfall uh, is maybe as good as GoldenEye. Is probably the number two best James Bond movie out there solely because, and by the way, our audience, Dan Eden is fully asleep now, solely because... <laughs> um, uh, it is personal, and I think that any James Bond movie that tries to approach the villain or circumstances from 
a point of view where it actually affects James Bond as a character should be given a thousand more points than any of the ones where they uh, just agreed. treat him like agreed. a tool. Um, so Skyfall, I saw some hate in the rental zone about Skyfall. It made me really fucking pissed. And it was just like, if you don't like Skyfall, then I, I don't know what kind of James Bond movie you're looking for, but you're a garbage person. Your ideas are cancer. I like Casino Royale better than Skyfall. Still love Skyfall. I think why I love Casino Royale so much is I love Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, God, he's so good in it. When yeah, he's, he's whipping him in the balls. Oh, yeah. yeah. Movie I mean, magic. I watch that just for fun, you know, right? But... Yeah, I, I jerk off to that con- consistently. Look, as a young Christian male, that was as close as <laughs> yeah. got, buddy. So, yeah. yeah, flagellation in all of its forms <laughs> yeah, is very right. sexually promising to uh, you Christians. We know uh, that, so. Yeah, James Bond and Antichrist, the movie, have more in common than you might realize. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's um, only Daniel Endit's comment. Yeah, okay, so in any of these movies. At risk of boring Dan Endon to absolute death, um, why don't we finish off this discussion of the James Bond franchise by reaching out into the Movie Blues Rental Zone, our official group for all things but Movie Blues related. Um, <laughs> although most people are under the guise that there is no podcast and it has nothing to do with the Rental Zone whatsoever. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, these are uh, Voices from the Rental Zone, the official group. Yeah. the movie blues podcast. The podcast predicated the group fyi <laughs> um let's start with aaron wheeler as per usual golden gun is the best more bond film says aaron no no, no. we've already talked about that so i'll we'll move on yeah we know um, that. we know that's not true let me just get wheeler's nonsense out of the way up front he says if i saw live and let die in theaters when it came out my review would have incorporated the line quote okay i will let this franchise die you guys deserve it um, which may be a fair point. Um, Aaron then says, we'll from, it, Russia, Aaron, you're woke. from Russia with Love is a classic and is fantastic and is Agreed. probably the best one. Dan agrees. That is my, that is, that is, From Russia with Love is one of three Bond films that I think are objectively good. Says the communist. Um, he goes, <laughs> he goes on to saying, Pierce Brosnan was awful other than Goldeneye. I don't know if I have a least favorite. The franchise is 75% smoked asshole. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to reverse that state statement. It's 25%, 75% glorious. Nick Loprezzi, uh says, man, this is hard. I think each era deserves its own best. Goldfinger for Connery, Moonraker for Moore, which we'll be doing next season, despite Dan Endon's uh, misgivings, Goldeneye for Bronson, and Skyfall for Craig. Skyfall being the most emotional and thought-out Bond film, IMO, which I IMO that too, my friend. Uh, good call, Nick. Um, we're all into that, um, except for Dan, who hasn't seen it, and probably never How will. Have you not seen Skyfall? I haven't seen a single Daniel Craig movie. Well, I've seen Layer Cake, and I've seen Knives Out, unfortunately. So, so far. Unfortunately? Oh, man, I like Knives Out and Layer Cake. Yeah, no, I get it. You're a fucking moron. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a white man in the suburbs. Get it right. <laughs> all right, well... We, if her, I'm just gonna, can you just like insert the recordings of our Knives Out episode right now so I don't have to rehash why that movie's terrible? I already, I already listened to part of it and I turned it off because I was bitter. <laughs> yeah, I've turned podcasts off because I was bitter. I actually turned a movie podcast off a few weeks ago. I was listening to um, Amy Nicholson's podcast, who's one of the biggest movie reviewers in the country. She was trashing Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> For um, having a cast that was too old for the characters they were playing. Oh, suck a dick, dude. 
It is the first time that I actually turned a podcast off in fury. I was like, Jesus Christ, listening to this is shortening my life. But that is that is the whole point of the movie. Yeah, that's one of those situations where uh, she got an assignment and was just like, I have to pull a thesis out of my ass. No, like she's been pushing this for years, apparently. Like she did this whole setup where she was like, this has been my opinion forever. Everybody hates me for it. And I was like, I do too. And never listen to her podcast again. Right. That's like saying the Irishman too. It's like, yeah, was it weird that seeing Robert De Niro try to run in CGI? Absolutely. (laughs) But was it accurate when he was in a wheelchair in like Delco? But like also like it's not like it's not like there's a lot of like activity in Goodfellas. Like you're never too old to fucking snort rails of coke. When he's in the <laughs> when he's in the wheelchair in Delco, I honestly during that period of time did not know if they had put any makeup on him. Right. They were like Robert De Niro, look, just like eat McDonald's, sit here. <laughs> They're like, we're gonna go film Robert in his trailer and use that as the older footage. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to end up with uh, one string of comments here. Now, um, on our last episode where we did thoughts and prayers from the rental zone, Dan and I uh, made a point of telling everybody they were doing it wrong, that they needed to uh, write more about the movies, that they needed to give us more concrete reviews. So uh, these are the first three comments from the thread asking for James Bond reviews. I'm going to read them now. They are very long, so everybody buckle in. Um, Jack, Jack says, I've never even heard of Living Daylight One. Perry James Rawson says, I need to dig into the older Bond. You don't. <laughs> and Aaron Wheeler, uh, fucking the... The, um, the patron the, saint of the movie Blues podcast. I was going to say, like, the, the Play-Doh of the movie Blues podcast said, oh, come on. Thank you, everybody, for once again pitching in, giving us your deep dives and your cynical takes. Are you ready to talk about 1973's seminal james bond film hell yeah we made it like nine episodes without you saying that word live and let die wanted to uh fix my soundproofing situation in case i feel compelled to say the n-word yeah he's got to hang up uh, more more yoga mats <laughs> L- listen motherfucker the yoga mats are great for sound uh, and acoustic so <laughs> some, some some of us have partners in which we compromise and by that nature that means that the room that i'm recording the podcast is also a yoga studio we don't just agree on everything i don't go to her and say hey um can I turn this into an office? And she says, only if you buy me a bunch of guns. We don't have that relationship. So that sounds like her relationship with you, though, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, but OK. Um, all right. Uh, I think that it's time to start out with our general impressions. Yeah, I'll say of I've drank this much whiskey so far. Um, we're going to start out with our general impressions of the film and our Golden Gun ratings, uh, which is our hand-tailored we're, we're rating scale. Ratings? 
Yeah, we're going to give everything up front here, because as we go along and talk about this, it's really going to be a manner of picking apart things that, like, I think every reasonable person on Earth would think are stupid. Um, so we might as well talk about the movie as a whole um, up front, just to get our yeah. cards on the table and things rolling along. So I want to defer to our guest uh, for his review and general thoughts of the film. Again, we don't need to go too far well, into it. By contrast, I'd like to remind everyone what our ratings were for Golden Gun, as well as find out Boyer's score for Golden Gun. Yes, go ahead, Dan. Why don't you let us in on that knowledge? So, if I recall, um, you gave Man with the Golden Gun... You, a, you a, recall in that I texted it to you. Yes. Th okay. Thanks, Dan. You know, <laughs> not everyone needs to know that there's pre-production. Um, right. So, if, if I recall from my text messages yesterday dan lyons gave the man with the golden gun uh, a respectable zero out of ten golden guns <laughs> and um i gave it i believe a two a one a respect, two. respect i gave it a two respect. yeah with um the two being one of those two being for the intro psychedelic hellscape scene and the other two being for the climax psychedelic hellscape scene yes 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 i do remember that um and uh, let's see if we can uh, maybe beat the cumulative score of two. Um, well, Boyer, what, although, would your, what would your Golden Gun rating be for Golden although, Gun? Although, Boyer, I just want to let you know that no matter what you rate this movie, your rating will not count in the cumulative. Um, <laughs> no formal, no formal. There's, no, there's nothing you can do about it. We tried it, to but, add uh, Jay Cohen's score to the Sonic thing, and it, 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 it fucked just, up the whole season. It, it ruined everything. It ruined the <laughs> whole podcast, much, and we're not doing like, it again. Much like him being a guest did. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematically, it was impossible. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay, Josh, tell us about what you thought of 1973's Live and Let Dan. Live and Let, live and let Dan. So I <laughs> would say that uh, Live and Let Dan had amazing points of action and had a better soundtrack than any other Bond film to date, to date, mm -hmm. 1973. Dan, if you could had, um, refrain from laughing song? at our guests... After everything he says, I'm, that would be. I'm, 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 just, I'm just endlessly pleased. Let, when, like, let the man review the goddamn movie. When two statements in, I have a novel written about. <laughs> um, and then I just have uh, a line written said racism question mark. Uh, no question then, mark necessary. No, no, wait. And then it follows up, and I have yes. <laughs> nice. Um. Uh, I will give this, because uh, I want to save my larger points for later, but I will give this six out of ten golden guns. Okay. Now, uh, is that is that in the six out of ten, is that like a one to ten scale in the scheme of film as a whole or within the Bond universe? Within the Bond yeah. universe. We got to do whole... two ratings, two ratings. Here. Okay. So, six out of ten in the Bond universe, three out of ten in the film universe. Okay. Okay, so we did this last time. What would you call a one in the Bond universe, and what would you call a ten in the Bond universe? A one in the Bond universe is definitely closer to Man with the Golden Gun or Moonraker. Okay. Um, and not wait to watch that movie. Uh, and and ten, 10 would be like, yeah, Skyfall, Casino Royale. And then so a you're, one... you're Daniel Craig gal. Yeah, Daniel Craig gal. And then one would be, in the real world, one would be uh, not even Soul Man. <laughs> then, uh, ten would be. I gave Soul uh, Man a ten. <laughs> <laughs> and like ten would be yeah. like, uh, like just like every other hipster on the movie. planet, uh, except for Eyes Wide Shut, any Stanley Kubrick film. 
So okay. I don't think that's a hipster I, opinion. That's just like people with like any intellect above that of a paper bag. So right like clockwork orange, you know, how uh, Dr. Strangelove, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's hipster to say that the most well-regarded director of all time made 10 out of 10 pictures. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Josh, overall impressions of the movie, kind of racist and kind of racist, but kind of good. Should I say good, but very racist? I should make sure that the butt is implying that it's still racist and not that it's racist, but good. However you and your right wing brain wants to spin this media is up to you, buddy. (laughs) Um, I uh... I know how you people are with the truth. (laughs) You people. What do you mean? You people. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's move on. Dan, what did you think of 1973's Live and Let Die? I think uh, I think what I thought of the movie could probably be summed up with my first note, which is uh, within 30 seconds of this, there seemed to be more black people than the entire rest of the series. This will surely get offensive. Dot, 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 dot. Yep, sure enough, there it is. <laughs> They're all walking super rhythmically and practically dancing to funeral music. I don't think that's what happens at funerals. I have a segment called Yo, is this racist? Uh, where we will be <laughs> tackling many of the questions uh, found within the racism in this film. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Dan. What else did you think about this one? I um, I thought this movie was, it really, it really encapsulated everything that is abhorrent about this series. And James Bond as a character, he is absolutely despicable. He is at peak misogyny. Um, peak, uh, just un- unjustified arrogance. Um, I feel this is an action movie that managed to have absolutely no stakes whatsoever at any given point, no matter the amount of danger that any character is in. None of them exhibit fear. Roger Moore is basically the Vin Diesel of the James Bond universe in that he is totally unfappable. Um, and I could not fathom how a group of British white men came together to put to film every possible caricature and stereotype of black people that existed in the early 70s. I think this movie is more racist than Soul Man. No, no. Wow. I I have... He just wants to be interesting. I, I, have, <laughs> I, I have a note. The song Live and Let Die has managed to be played seven times more than Soul Man was in Soul Man, and this is somehow more offensive to black people. Has anyone what? made more money from this movie than Paul McCartney? Right. Okay, that is a good point. Um, you know, and, and, and this will go into Yo, Is That Racist? But um, yeah, I mean, the fact that um, they didn't choose a black recording artist of any kind to do the song is just so gross. Because ultimately, <laughs> Soul Man is highly, so bad. highly, highly racist on a surface level, but the intent behind it was to not be racist. It was just despicably so wait, so you're misguided. It's sounding like the defense of the uh, main character from Soul Man right now. No, I, I kind of vibe with what Dan's saying here. Um, I think that in, in Soul Man, they were trying to be earnest about it. Yeah. And in this movie, they just wanted to film black people in their natural, most racist habitat. Exactly. There's a difference between <laughs> trying to make a racial statement and failing miserably and just being like, black people are nothing but pimps, voodoo masters, <laughs> heroin dealers. Um, and uh, 
the the very first black bond girl that we're ever introduced to is completely skittish she's a cia agent who's completely skittish terrified of everything easily manipulated um totally dispensable and is murdered within five minutes of being on screen and is a double-crossing dual agent right, as well. Right, She's Every, not a CIA. She lies about being a CIA agent. Yeah, At no point it's confirmed that she actually was a CIA agent. Every black person in this film is either a, a, a double-crossing, untrustworthy, overly violent, overly emotional. Um, all of them have magic. Like, right, yeah, they do all which have is magic. Lit. Which is cool. Which is cool, yeah. Right. Everybody had magic in Harry Potter, and that wasn't racist, just saying. Um, <laughs> touche, but I mean, these days, now now that J.K. Rowling's opened her mouth, we learned it's pretty racist. Dan, Golden Gun ratings for 1973's Live and Let Die, please. So, I gave The Man with the Golden Gun a 2. I yeah. am going to now move The Man with the Golden Gun to a 3.5, and I am going to move this movie to a 0. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, ouch. That's because brutal. at the very <laughs> least, the man with the golden gun had those trippy psychedelic hellscapes, whereas this sure. movie was a bunch of white men making a black exploitation film. It made no sense in the context. So you think I've, that I've seen... that racism is worse for uh, African Americans and that exploiting Asians is somehow better? <laughs> that Yeah, he's got a point because golden gun... Golden Gun was not only more racist towards Asians than this was to black people, but even J.W. Pepper, our favorite Bond character that we're going to talk about for probably the rest of this podcast, said way more racist things in Golden Gun. He was like looking around during Golden Gun every five seconds. He was like, these goddamn zips are taking over my <laughs> land. It was like completely, <laughs> completely out right. of control. That was, a, that, was, that was a film that was created during the Vietnam War. Um, right. Well, you know, this was created during the Black Heroin Wars of Harlem. Yeah, of the entirety of our country's history. Yeah, right. I was uh, going to say, from USA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From USA, 1776 through present. So, dude, like, this, the reality So this is, is a zero, all... though, as a Bond film and a film in history for you? Double zero. Yes. Double oh, wow. seven. Double O zero. <laughs> all of all of the Bond films, contrary to what Boyer may expect, I have seen, with the exception of the Craig movies, I've seen nearly every James Bond movie, and hmm. this one is so dramatically out of character and unique in its approach, um, where. I, I can't think of another one that takes this vibe where James Bond is essentially just a regular guy living within the universe of every other black exploitation film. Right. It, it, it's there's no you know there's no grand government conspiracy. There's no stakes any higher than like heroin's being distributed. And ultimately, right. every villain is a black person, and they're so reduced down to. Like one woman's disguise is simply that she puts on an yeah, afro rib. It's, it's, it's just despicable. Like, there's no point in this movie where a single black character is viewed as an actual human being rather than just expendable fodder. All right. Um, obviously, this one did not sit well with my co-host. Um, sorry for making you watch it. Um, I'm shocked. And uh, I guess it's time for me to throw my hat into the ring about this one. Um, I fucking love this movie. I thought this movie... I thought this movie was fucking amazing. Um, I had many moments throughout 
where I absolutely hated what I was watching. I felt a sense of torture unending. I was <laughs> deeply, deeply offended, uh, so much so that I had to do hours of research to look into how racist I was truly being, and the film as well. Um, my thoughts on this movie were... Keep in mind like, that these thoughts are coming from someone who less than two weeks ago was in a grocery store purchasing watermelon <laughs> candies and, um, and like... It was a watermelon cake, first of all. So. Right. All right, well, let me be upfront about a couple things. A, I did find this movie racist. B, <laughs> okay, B, um, I did not approve of that racism. However, in researching the film did find out a lot about their intentions and how they came to do the things that they did in the film um which excused some but not all of it um what drew me to this one in particular is a few things i'm going to get out of the way first that obviously having done golden gun on this podcast made me excited to watch another roger moore era james bond movie now if you were to take that construct out of it and if you were to show me this film on a sunday afternoon with no context whatsoever and with no podcast involved not quite sure where i'd end up on it um but i do want to let everybody know i'm not defending this out of some sort of like fun let's torture dan Enden type of thing even though that is always my intent um but instead, I'm not, I, I'm not tortured. No part of me is surprised that I know, this is Dan. This is Dan's first defense mechanism, which is I don't care. He doesn't <laughs> care if I liked it, but in actuality, he does. We'll let him think whatever the fuck he wants. I don't care. Um, but I already I will expected say that, to test your opinions. I will say it's that strangers um, whose opinions matter to me. <laughs> okay, fan of Speed Racer, calm down. Um, so uh, forgotten gem. Most underrated film no, labeled garbage. by Spin Magazine. You're garbage. You are garbage idiot. Underrated film of 2008, number one, Spin Magazine. If you could shut up for a little while, I'm trying to make a point. Okay. Um, so uh, the things that I did like about this movie uh, were many, many fold. Uh, first of which being that um, the action I thought was fantastic. I love the boat chase, which went on for about 200 hours uh, in the second half of the film. Um, I absolutely was riveted by some of the plot decisions and narrative moments that were incredibly stupid, but also like elated me to no end. Um, there were some reveals in the film that I found really hilarious and satisfying. I'm going to go out there and say that this is one of my favorite Bond villains ever. Um, and I also found his death to be one of the most hilarious moments in movie cinema history. Um, his death was exactly like Steven Dorff from Blade 1, where he literally inflates yeah. to a balloon and fucking explodes. That was one of two moments in this movie that I felt anything resembling joy. Um, the gadgets were very minimal. There was one gadget in the movie. It was just a watch. It went across the entire movie and had multiple functions. Um, they did a good job of really not making it one of the Bond movies where his behavior and chauvinism is to a point where it sickens me. I actually found some of his interactions to be quite funny uh, with the women and the people around him in the movie. Um, I loved the black cast, even though it was a compromise in terms of, well, do you want black people to be in this film or not? Uh, granted, the representation is not going to be great. Still, do you want to do it? Uh, I think that all the actors in it loved being in it. Yafet Kodo, uh, who yeah, is the- Yeah, all, all the actors in vaudeville love doing soft shoe on stage too, Dan. 
I, I'm aware. I'm aware of like what this implies and the fact that it was kind of a minstrel show. Yeah. At points. What what kind of what kind of defense is that? Oh, the black people loved having work. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a more racist statement than what I'm trying to imply. But um, yeah. Uh, I I love this movie. I thought it was really fun. Um, and I thought the last hour or so was just one hilarious thing after another. It just kept me laughing and riveted. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give this movie a, on the James Bond scale, a 7 out of 10. Um, on the overall history of cinema scale, I'm going to give this like a 5 out of 10. So yeah, the, the basic gist of it for me is that, um, was this movie racist? Sure, and we're about to get into that. Was this movie as stupid as mostly other James Bond movie? Sure. But I love the settings. I love the fact that they tried to incorporate some elements that had not been in other James Bond movies. And I thought it was infinitely, I mean, within 30 seconds of watching it, knew that it was a better film than Golden Gun, better shot, better written, better thought out. Um, I thought the plot had more intrigue and more reveals and more interesting turns than most older James Bond movies. I really had fun with this one, guys. And uh, we're going to get into a lot of details how and why. I guess I, Dan, should just get, I, I guess I should just get out of the way the things I did find positive about this movie. Okay. Because they are few. Well, no, let's, uh, go, granted, let's go, Dan, uh, let's Dan, go like, Dan, keep in part mind, part. I'm, I'm giving this movie a fucking five out of ten. I'm not giving this movie, like, all the credit in the world, but this movie was way better than I thought it was going to be. And given the limitations of a James Bond movie, which I was able to kind of supersede in my own mind, there was a lot to enjoy for me. Yeah, I wanted to get in character by uh, having my my favorite drink, a, a dirty martini that I shook and did not stir because stirring it's. I should have smoked idiot. a large cigar. <laughs> yeah, Dan, you even fucked this up because this is the only movie where, on purpose, the writers made him not order a martini shaken, not stirred, because they did not want him to resemble Sean Connery. So he ordered a glass of whiskey with no yes. ice. I noticed neat. that. That he ordered it neat. Yeah. In filet of soul. <laughs> which, which which coincidentally is also something that you've chastised me for drinking during the podcast is a neat whiskey. Uh yeah, I'm not into it. Um okay folks, uh we're gonna say ahead. not doing this not doing these things. Sorry, not doing these things stone sucks. Yeah, you should try it. You should try it more stone. Dan's drinking a little faggy drink for a little girl. I feel like at, at every episode you text me like, oh fuck, I said faggy. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, speaking of the N-word, uh, we are going to head on to a section now called, Yo, is that racist? Um, <laughs> and, In that uh, tone of voice. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, basically, I'm going to read some like factotums about things that happened in the movie. And then we're going to talk about, is that racist? Spoiler alert. The answer is yes. To all this session, <laughs> this segment will be one minute long. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's start at the top. Every black character in the film is evil besides James's personable boat captain slash slave. Yes. I'm going to say yes. Alright, and I, and there's two of mine. I'm going to say that read. yes, that is, uh, that is most definitely racist. Um, uh, okay, uh, the second uh... <laughs> my, my, first, my first note was live and let die in which black people are always the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, our second seg- our second uh, piece of trivia here on Yo! Is That Racist? is uh, the co-opting and misappropriation of diasporic religions and cultures. Yeah. Josh? <laughs> what? 
yes! <laughs> you watching? You're expecting him to say no. I, I mean, you're our, you're our resident Ben Shapiro for the oh day. Like gosh. you, you can you can give the the religious insight that neither of us no, have. As... We're the Jews, but he's Ben Shapiro still. <laughs> yeah, right. I was gonna say I'm more like who's that gay guy out of California? Like just like completely uh, switch parties. You're like you're like Milo Milo Yadanana. Yeah, Sizzini's yeah. You're boss. like you're like Milo Pita. <laughs> Um, huh. Guys, is it racist? A giant voodoo dance, a voodoo dance orgy that sacrifices a white girl? Eh, nah. Um, I, I'd, I'd say ra- racially tone deaf. Probably not. Racist. I'd say it's pretty on the line. <laughs> yeah, for that time period, which in itself was all the time racist, it was probably pretty fun. Uh, this one uh, is kind of a preemptive yes. Um. Uh, while every other Bond villain has global plans, the first African-American Bond villain is trafficking heroin. <laughs> yup. Yep. That is exceptionally racist. <laughs> that's no good. That's, that's, that's a no for, yes for me. A yes for me. That's just a no-fly zone. Um, I, I have so many of these that I want to contribute to this, but I feel like you're going to hopefully touch upon um, all of them. The next item on, yo, is that shit racist? Um, the entire funeral parade and seemingly the entire island of San Monique are all purposefully complicit in the plans of Mr. Big slash Kananga, including taxi drivers, bystanders, funeral goers from Harlem all the way to New Orleans. Yes, uh, the argument being that black people preemptively have funerals purely to facilitate the murders of white men and then happily dance upon them. We're going to get into out. the scene that we're referring to here, folks. Um, <laughs> but, yo, I it's feel like Joe Biden watched that scene before he went on the interview the other day where he was like, it's Latinos who are different, not black people. They're all the same. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He, he was like, he was like, Latinos have a lot of diversity, unlike the blacks. <laughs> like the blacks, they love parades and dancing. Heretofore, every Bond villain has been one of these uh, Doctor, not Doctor Manhattan, Ozymandias type anti-heroes who like has come to an absurd conclusion of how to carry out something that's totally genuine and like well-intentioned. Whereas the ultimate motivation of the villains here is that they want to get everybody addicted to heroin. <laughs> Do you like how that, at a certain point, instead of saying uh, <clears throat> all the Italian gangs will be mad about the heroin, they said the families to show respect? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Uh, yo, right. guys, is it racist that the first black antagonist of a Bond film is a womanizing, human trafficking, heroin-selling voodoo believer? <laughs> yes. While voodoo practices are swore by some to be real and help explain some of the more racist visuals and scenes in the film, the entire island of San Monique is under spiritual spell of Baron Samadhi, a voodoo leader who tricks his followers with dummies of himself and a trick elevator to rise from the grave, thus inferring that voodoo is at its core a sham run by drug kingpins and special effects. Is that racist? I mean, that's most religions, mm, and I'm including that one mine. Seems, that one seems less... <laughs> That one seems less <laughs> racist because voodoo for sure is not real. Nice. <laughs> I think making it the nefarious construct of heroin dealers shoves it along, like nudges it into racist territory. But at heart, it's uh, it, it's theory. Yeah, I mean, if you've watched so Perry Mason off. so far, uh, some Christian churches are far off in that category of raising people from the dead. I, so. I was going to say... I was, I was going to say the reality is the commentary it's making is that religion is fake, which we know to be factual. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> that's Wait, for that's a different not, podcast. That's not known? 
at this point? <laughs> that's not known at this point. I mean, in the You're 60s, me it there wasn't. Are people that still think that shit is real? Yeah, I still think that uh, that's real. Uh, it's crazy, guys. Are you talking about, like, the stuff that happened, like, after the Old Testament being real? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I don't do that. That's insane. That's crazy. Um. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm strictly Old Testament. Yeah. That's that right. All of the Everything that happened in the Old Testament could have been done with smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But, I mean, the magic yeah. tricks that Jesus was pulling off were like, that was like so, Chris so Angel God, level. You, you, mind you, you would agree that we should be destroying the property of merchants and enacting socialist utopias. Uh, I- as per the New Testament. Uh, I mean, Jesus was not a socialist as much as every hipster would like to say, but... <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you guys take it from here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about Jesus or hipsters or socialism, so I'm going to let you guys have as much fun as possible. <laughs> uh, um, Dan's Dan's so... ready to put on his green and red uniform and start marching in the streets, so... <laughs> I was going to I was gonna show up today if... if uh... I can't use any of the fans in here because the mics pick them up, so it's too hot. But I have this all black shirt with just like a giant AR-15 on top of a on top of a gay pride flag. It just says def- "Defend Equality." Dan wants to be the tank driver in the Tiananmen Square massacre. <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> Are we done here? <laughs> Wait, 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 hold on. Are we done with Yo, yeah, is it racist? Uh, I think that's enough with Yo, is it racist? As we go through the film. Can I yeah, throw one ahead, in there? Yeah, Can have I just fun. throw one in there? Yo, is it racist that the first Bond movie about black people features no music besides British man Paul McCartney's song, Live It, Let Die, repeatedly reimagined as Caribbean instrumentals? They did have a black woman singing at one point. Just going to let you uh, sit with that information. They did have a black woman singing at one point. So I will say no, it's not racist. It's not racist. It's just not um, all right. Are you guys ready to talk about what happened in this film? Always. Oh, yeah. Cool. Always. Literally always ready to talk about the plot of specifically this film. Um, <laughs> so as you guys may be able to gather by now, this movie is a very problematic James Bond film with a lot to love. And uh, what, do, what, what do the leftists call it these days? Problematic faves. Have you heard that? Yeah, this is a problematic fave for me, for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, the movie starts out um, with a series of scenes um, in which white secret agents are being killed by nefarious black uh, gang and criminal organizational members. Um, it's, uh, I think one scene is in New Orleans, um, which is wow. maybe one of the really the most hair-raisingly, brutally confusing moments in movie history where a... Um, <laughs> he just dies! <laughs> where a, a jazz funeral, as the director of the film referred to it, by the way, in the making of, um, where that's, that's where a New Orleans was. jazz funeral comes, like, marching down the street, and they're all doing their, like, you know, umbrella dance and, like, sad music in the background, and um, it just so happens that a secret agent is watching this parade. Um, meanwhile, a guy comes up to him and is like, yo, you like this fucking racist shit? And he's like, yeah. And then he stabs him. Um, and as he falls to the ground, um, I mean, we he, describe it like that. Stabbing sounds reasonable. They stab him. And as he falls to the ground, the funeral procession comes by, puts a trick dummy coffin over his body, which then sucks which is him dope. up. Which is dope. Uh, best gadget in the movie by far. Um, and yes. uh, 
<laughs> um, and they march him off. Basically, we're seeing the first strike of a all-black heroin-selling, voodoo-inspired organization that is trying to take over the heroin game in the United States. Um, I can't really explain it other than that. Um, it's kind of like the Nigerian funeral meme, but like the movie version of that. <laughs> um, That's Ganyan, by the way, so you're racist. <laughs> um, and... Uh, at this point, I had, I didn't know what kind of movie I was really in for yet. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad or topically sensitive or racist. So I have in my notes, um, the topicality of this film alone makes it seem significant. And that's my most embarrassing note uh, for the day, guys. That's uh, <laughs> that's about as wrongheaded as I got in this endeavor. Um, I'm going to repeat it again. Quote, the topicality of this film alone makes it seem significant. <laughs> like like why because of the current times there are black like... funerals happening all across town <laughs> um, I always think about the, the coordination of crime like uh, as you guys said earlier uh, it seems that every single black person is uh, complicit and involved mm -hmm. in this national scheme. No, not seems. Not seems. Not seems. That is what portrayed. It is clear <laughs> yeah. today. They have all... There, there is... Let, let yeah. me make this clear. This right. intro scene is this jazz funeral mm -hmm. as we speak features no less than 100 extras participating in what initially seems like a Mardi Gras-esque parade. You then notice they're carrying a coffin, so it becomes I mean, they funeral. actually do funerals like that in New Orleans. I have yeah. physically yeah. seen one. That, that's fine. Think about the amount of effort it takes to wake up in the morning and prepare for a funeral. These people's costumes right, right, were elaborate. Right. They had pro they yeah. had props. They had coordinated. It's, it's unbelievable. Ultimately, the only purpose of stab it one guy. was to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, to make sure this one white guy ended up in a certain situation so that he could ask whose funeral right. it was so that the person could say yours, then yeah. stab him and then put him in said coffin. This is a coordinated effort island-wide. You know, I don't know what the deal is if they need permitting to make something like this happen, but there was a lot of a lot of moving parts here to make this elaborate murder take place in essentially in a celebratory funeral dance. Let me let me give you an example, Josh, just to like fully illustrate the complicit nature of all of the black people together as criminals in this movie. Um, inside of this <laughs> deeply racist restaurant that we're talking about, the Filet of Soul. Um, you know, they have a girl who's performing Live and Let Die. And, like, there's a scene in which, like, a bunch of people are in there watching the show. And they and James Bond is one of them. And a trap door opens up and they lower James Bond oh, right. into it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, keep in mind, he is in the front row of an entire club full of people seated watching this act. Um, the entire club complicitly allows this man to be kidnapped via underground elevator. The singer goes on singing unfettered literally is singing yeah. to him as he is lowered into this chamber she's like live and let die she's like singing right <laughs> in his face dude it was like da -na -na, da -na -na, da -na. but it was all played with mallets on human skulls <laughs> give me for some perspective uh, we're we're at a yiddish bar um i don't know like you know <laughs> all right you're off to a bad start that's not a thing i'm moving <laughs> forward it only serves uh, uh, one type of my, wine. I'm going to drop my rating one point for whatever you're about to say. <laughs> <laughs> and you see someone that looks like Roger Moore walk in. Roger okay. Moore looking like the okay. Aryan prince of Hitler's dreams. <laughs> right, surely, yeah. 
he sits down and starts staring at whoever is singing with sexual intent and then disappears into the floor. Are you really going to make moves to save that man's life? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me make something clear. And this is such a goddamn typical right-wing tactic, rhetoric, rhetorically. And there is a very, very clear line between trying to save someone's life actively and sitting back completely unfazed by someone's life being taken. <laughs> Do you feel good? Are you now gonna like quote something about like Crystal Knocked? Yeah, I'm flipping through my Mao Zedong yeah. essays to find a quote to support Oh great, it. that's exactly who you should reference when talking about human rights. <laughs> Dan needs to go to the bathroom because he has the Communist Manifesto uh, joke printed on his rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> this is a partially visually medium i want you guys to know there are a couple books that every person should read to get uh, through their life number no. one oh, right here we have the communist manifesto number two we have the case for socialism number three we have ketamine dreams and reality pause for a second i just want to say i have two people on my podcast right now one of them is my co-host who is holding up communist propaganda the other the other <laughs> guest is literally holding a revolver and and somehow in this blend of complete wrongheadedness we're supposed to be reviewing a james bond movie so i all right stand by talk about talk amongst yourself um, so then we we smash cut uh from a black funeral in new orleans so he told fiction... us to talk amongst ourselves no this is it i'm gonna try to keep the podcast rolling as he leaves this okay. is like how i do it he doesn't know when he walks away i just keep the narrative flowing that's my own <laughs> shot um smash cut from a black funeral in uh new orleans to the fictional island of san monique um, this is an island in the Caribbean that uh, they've made up uh, where there's some sort of voodoo sex orgy taking place. Um, in my notes, I have the phrase racism mega overload. Um, <laughs> because, like, um, imagine, if you will, like a hundred extras doing. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm the racist for thinking the dance moves are racist or whether it was racist to begin with, but. It's called crunk. Yeah, picture a hundred people <laughs> crunking um, to the most. I'm sorry, I found one more, one more essential. Oh essential yeah, go ahead, reading. Dan. Oh, just a gun. Oh yeah. <laughs> now there's two people with guns. <laughs> it's the same gun, actually. But mine's it's the same gun. <laughs> oh, mine's bigger. <laughs> yeah, well. First time that you ever said that. I'm gonna have to edit this episode for the next two years. <laughs> it's only going to be 30 seconds long but uh, it's going to be very impactful um, uh, so uh, we're talking about the private island uh, that is owned by the bad guys here by the way we have not gotten through five minutes of this movie uh, it's been about probably an hour Boy, and 40 I also want to add that San Monique is technically a privately owned island but is part of the UN yeah I'm not sure how that plays out right because it is a privately owned island that's said multiple times an affirmative action island. <laughs> they, yes, they let him into the UN due to affirmative action. Well, I mean, look, um, if yeah. I can say anything positive about San Monique, uh, if they're part of the UN, we know they're anti-communist because it is the early 70s. Guys, guys, we're getting to the point where Dan is literally spinning his empty barrel of his gun, <laughs> showing it to a camera uh, that no one will ever see. None of you can appreciate this, but uh, if you've ever watched a rap video from the early 2000s, <laughs> yeah, with all the revolvers, <laughs> I mean, you are in a tank top, you, you mean all the videos with the nine millimeter high points, yeah, right. hell yeah, brother. 
Actually, you're like you're like a, you're like a country music video from the late '90s. You're you're like outlaw country. I, ass I, I assumed that your favorite part of this movie was James Bond talking about 308. Uh, first of all, it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, uh, I, I have to talk about something. So after these agents are all murdered uh, by blacks, um, we cut to the themes. <laughs> we cut to the theme song. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're cut, we cut to the theme song, um, which is like a smash cut to Paul McCartney singing Liver Let Die over like bizarre voodoo black imagery. Um, again, racist, again, uh, unsettling. Um. <laughs> but if you've never seen a Sean Connery, so the early Sean Connerys, I mean, they've always had naked ladies in them, but it's always been like just enough where you're like, can I see a nipple? And like, that's that's the theme of, of James Bond intros is can I see a nipple? Well, you can. <laughs> you almost because, can. Because I, I have, I, I've been watching all of these awful James Bond movies that we've done on like HD, like huge downloads, and like the opening credits used to be like really obscured, and now they're just like lit, like softcore porn, pretty much. Because you you, yeah. you can even see like some of the girls aren't even fully blacked out. It's just like they didn't expect people to ever to be able to see like the film negative as yeah. clearly as there you can there see was it. one full blown nipple in the in the title sequence. Um, I know because I paused and excused myself. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Anyway, uh, we now, uh, after the opening credits, open on James Bond in bed, waxed, quaffed, full hairspray in a shaven chest. Um, I just wrote, uh, just Roger Moore is just my man. He's just like, <laughs> he's got a vibe, dude. There's a point at which. I, I fucking knew it, dude. I knew it. You went, the entire last episode was you just shitting on Roger Moore as being a fully smoked cigar. He's younger. He's younger this in this one. And I was, like, I, was, I, was like, I was like, he looks slightly he better and is acting exactly the same and Dan's suddenly going to relate to him. <laughs> I, I didn't relate to him so much as a scene in a movie where a man is smoking a 11-inch cigar while parasailing. That is a fucking vibe. <laughs> <laughs> That is what I dream of. I'm like, if you don't think that that is a vibe, I'm sorry. I'm a jet ski, and I'm sure it doesn't yeah. compare. And that alone was one of the, the top five moments. Of I my have life. notes for the opening scene of um, where he said, "I said, Roger Moore bangs an Italian girl and uses watch for another round. She literally begs for it, and everyone thinks it's awesome." <laughs> Um, the scene that you're talking about is the one I'm opening up here, where um, James is banging this like 12 year old Italian girl in his bed. Um, which, by the way, all right, Jeffrey Epstein, as celebrities are wont to do. I got a real. Uh, as we're gonna get into it when we uh, introduce the tarot card reading character, but I got a real globalist pedophile vibe from Roger Moore in this movie that I could not shake. Yeah, um, yeah, deflowering. I have, I have my a substantial thing. point to make about the tarot. He was definitely thing. like a good rep for the Clinton organization in this movie. I really enjoyed his behavior. <laughs> I mean, it was a private island that they went to. When they said like private island of San Monique, I like literally am picturing Jeffrey Epstein there, like surrounded by voodoo women. <laughs> Yeah, it, in voodoo children <laughs> in blackface. Surely, mask. yeah, surely. Daniel, it's a rubber mask. <laughs> I don't think the material of the blackface is consequential. Um, 
it's at this point that Money Penny arrives um, randomly in what I assume is five in the morning at James Bond's actual house. Um, yeah, but in this one, I, I give her props because this is the first one. Uh, I really, I really was impressed by her restraint and not blatantly acting like she wants to be Bond's milf fuck toy in this one. Yeah, she had again like, and and I'm comparing all of it to Golden Gun. She had more agency in the one scene of this movie than she did in the entirety of the <laughs> yeah, other movie. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know why James Bond has a full actual furnished home. Uh, it doesn't seem very in character with him, and it seems like it's truly his residence. Um, I'm sure it's one of many. And it's at this point where Monty Penny brings on the taxpayer's dime. I'll have you know. <laughs> I would agree with that statement. Um, Monty Penny brings James a gadget watch, which I'm not sure why Q didn't come himself. She was like, Q wanted me to give this to no, you. No, he fixed it. He fixed it. So it was his watch already, and she said that he fixed it. And then M was like, can you not break stuff? And he was like, no, eat a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His boss is like, hey, I bet the taxpayers wouldn't be thrilled to know that you're using their money to buy elaborate watches. And he was like, look, it's a magnet, though. <laughs> so James is then uh, given his uh, magnetic watch, which, as I mentioned uh, before, is the only gadget in the entire movie, which I thought was stunning and brave. Um, and um, <laughs> um, he then uses it to words usually used uh, to represent. He lazy. then uses it to suck um, a spoon off of his boss's like tea plate that he's drinking off of. Sock. Um, it literally like goes flying out of his hands and goes into James Bond's and like What are you insane clown posse? Do you not know how magnets work? They cut to um they cut to his <laughs> boss and his boss has a look on his face like like what did I do in my life to deserve to be fucked with at this level? Like what what did I do to deserve any of this? Um it flies off of his saucer plate um, James doesn't have any regard to like whether or not his boss has any metal fillings or a pacemaker. We're not really <laughs> sure about that. He just fires up a chemical weapons grade magnet on a watch in the middle of a room. Um, the implication being that there's literally nothing else made out of metal in this room. Right. Uh, he does make a mean uh, espresso. We do know that. It goes without yeah. saying that every time James Bond turned his magnetic watch on, his own gun should have flown out of his pocket. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm surprised nickel. at no point did like uh, like Roger Moore's cock ring come flying through his pants and stick to his watch. <laughs> um, That's called the Prince Albert. Yeah. I'm sorry, I misgendered your cock ring. Um, no, that's part. That's part of it. It's like he basically turns on his watch oh, yeah. and it gives him. If he turns it on and off real quick, it's like he's fucking giving a ghost hand job. It's like a hollow man um, situation. <laughs> It's at this point that James uh, gets the briefing that three uh, perfect white people have been destroyed out in the world, and it's the black people's fault. <laughs> and it's the the point at which James must go revenge the death of other whites around him. All reasonable. <laughs> Uh, it's that point at which uh, he needs to start investigating any and all black people around him. And um, uh, he hops in a taxi um, where he is immediately being tracked and is attacked by another black agent. Um, it's a great little scene where James doesn't know that his driver has been shot with a silent dart in his head. Um, uh, although it is not without its own racism as James um, 
says to uh, Felix on the phone in the cab, quote, get me a make on a white pimp mobile. I didn't even realize he said that. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, did. <laughs> um, I actually, on, on, on the Wikipedia page for this, as I did my obligatory uh, five minutes of research post-film, it was, uh, there was a statement that was like, departures from other films, a section, and it was like, <laughs> one of the lines was like, unlike any other John Bill- James Bond film, this film prominently features pimp mobiles. <laughs> it's so true, too. Um, of, of course, they're all white Cadillacs. Like, they're all like large-bodied white Cadillacs. Um, right, and this, right. this, yeah, with which to fit more heroin. This led to my favorite. Hosed. And white bodies. <laughs> Once again, hey, Dan, as an Antifa member, this should all look great to you. Um, I, I don't understand what you mean. Uh, anti-fascist movement is strictly for the freedom and liberation of all I'm people. I'm all of this. <laughs> Except for the definition of an Antifa, right. which is going to be up front in the theme song. Of which I am the president. Um, to, uh, um, then this leads to probably the most hilarious line in the entire movie in my opinion where um he says to his black cab driver as he chases after the pimp mobile if you keep up with that jukebox there's twenty dollars in it for you to which his cab driver replies oh, yes. hey man for twenty dollars i'll take you to a ku klux klan barbecue <laughs> that was my favorite moment i was just like holy crap is a ku klux klan barbecue a lynching technically is that what they're referring to i, I think they're referring to yes. a cross burning right Oh, or that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, why not both? Cross-burning, right, lynching, yeah, right. potato, potato. <laughs> potato, potato. Look, if you're going to be wearing white sheets... <laughs> if, if you're going to be wearing yeah. white sheets suspending things in the air, you're pretty much uh, part of the Ku Klux Klan barbecue. Um, yeah, which is basically, that yeah. was the version of... Have you seen, like, the t-shirts that, like, fat kids in middle school wear that say, I'm not gay, but $20 is $20? Sure. Like that? No. I cannot believe you didn't know that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I would have for sure worn That's that. That's like shirt. pure ending. <laughs> yeah, I would wear that shirt right now. Uh, I want to get serious for a second in terms of like one of the reasons that I do like this movie is because the organization that they do portray, while it is like one that's selling heroin, is full of like very competent and interesting characters that were more yes. memorable to me than most things in a James Bond film. And Tattoo? What's that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, like, Baron Samadhi, um, as a character, not only was I elated to see him because after 10 years of playing uh, Goldeneye, after it came out, in a fucking row, I had no idea where Baron Samadhi was as a character who was in that game. Um, so when he came out in his outfit and looked like the character from Goldeneye, I had, like, a mini nerd orgasm about it. Um, but, like... His character was very unique and had, like, obviously mystical powers that we will get into at some point. Um, But uh, even the fact that at the end of the film, when you think all of this organization has been destroyed, you still see Baron Samadhi, like, on the train, like, smiling and laughing. I thought that was, like, actually a very arresting and interesting visual. Um, Yeah, that was dope. I thought that Yafet... Yeah, but I, I thought that too in a vacuum, but it's like, ultimately, what is Dan, you have to take almost everything that happens in these movies in a vacuum, because as a whole, right. James Bond movies are garbage. Like, like anything on this podcast, uh, you look at it in terms of what can you get from each individual moment, scene, crew, character choice, 
casting yeah, choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's what I was doing here. For example, like Yafet Kodo as as the main antagonist of this movie. First of all, obviously love him from Alien. I had never seen him do a role kind of quite like this. Um, I thought he was fucking great in it. I thought that him and the polka dot wearing like claw man uh, that he worked with, Teehee, um, Mr. Teehee, Mr. Teehee, who. Um, uh, in watching the documentary, found out that he decided on having the claw. It was his idea. They were. Yeah, yeah. We all agree that Michael Clark Duncan was good in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Clark Crunkin. So I will say, as far as uh, I agree, and I want to expand on that in the sense of uh, if you look at the villains in this, uh, most of the Bond characters usually have one or two. They have a main villain, right? The antagonist. And then they have always a sidekick, right? And the sidekick right. is always like B-grade. And then there's always the beautiful chick. Right, right, right. Along the way. But they're not only as one, but two actual villains that are portrayed, or sidekick villains that are portrayed throughout the film, which is Teehee and Whisper. And I thought Whisper, yeah. they were like, Whisper let's just give this mad indeed. fat guy who has no skills whatsoever besides having what is laryngitis. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> they were like, the only thing that qualifies for you being a Bond villain is you've smoked thousands of blunts. <laughs> yeah, they literally thought something like what they thought what they intended to be menacing would was equated to essentially be like a slapsticky Monty Python-esque gag where someone just whispering everything and it was basically I mean, was just like a one-act play of like hey, uh, hey uh, we're gonna open your champagne and james was like oh what and he's like i said i'm gonna open your champagne and that's supposed to be menacing but it's just irritating it was irritating on the air i also but ear. i will say with tihi uh as the Teehee only one great. who cares about he <laughs> <Teehee want> tihi <laughs> i'm the only gotcha. one who cares about costume design here and uh, the cost, I love the, the clothing. Well, I said he had a I polka dot say, suit. What are you talking about? Yeah, I said the polka, polka dot polka suit. Dot. It, was, it was a jacquard weave that had. But anyway, oh, Josh wants to talk okay, about No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. What I'm saying is, is that the big negative for me was that, like, and we know this is possible with costume design. It's clearly with Teehee's character. They were like, just what hold one of these child level hooks, right? Like, that you would yeah. buy at the Halloween Superstore. Because it is yeah, a solid I mean, three inches longer than his other hand. Just you imagine can clearly people, tell. Like a, a seven foot tall black man in a whatever gay term that you came up with suit. Um, uh, <laughs> who's, who has a claw for a hand. But the claw apparatus itself is so poorly made that it could not be more obvious that his left arm with the claw on it is a full foot longer than his right hand. <laughs> um, it's like the worst looking prop claw hand I have ever seen in a movie. He looks like the uh, inflatable guys outside of car stores. Yeah, he yes, he did look like a waving, waving tube man outside of a car store. Like, wacky waving inflatable yeah. or flailing tube man. So, uh, I thought that all of the kind of uh, side evil apprentices were fantastic in this movie. They're all very memorable. Um, they all had their own interesting character things that the actors were allowed to put in themselves, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and um, I also think that um, just in terms of like Bond girls, like, yes, this movie did have a chain of women once again, which by the way, you know, who cares? Cause again, all Bond movies are essentially ridiculous, but like in having three women 
be the love interest in every James Bond movie from that era, it really deflates like any sense of connection that you can have with either the women or Bond because he's like, one of them has to die in the first 10 minutes yeah i mean his behavior is just like the way that he hops to women it's it's fun for men like at the time to have watched it and fantasize because that's kind of all they had but as like a a woke liberal 2020 democrat watching it it's like it just doesn't it doesn't track and it doesn't feel good to watch i i I did have i had a a, 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 i was pontificating in my notes about like um I know objectively in this movie he doesn't treat women any differently than as abhorrently as he does in every other movie, but not. it feels so much worse when it's a black woman. But he doesn't actually sleep with her or get away with it. And now, does Rosie, right? Rosie doesn't... No, instead he acts like he's going to sleep with her only to violently confront her. Yeah, and then he threatens to shoot her with out. a not-loaded firearm, and then he loads it, and then he points it at her a second time. <laughs> It just like he, he's I like, felt like he your choice, her. and then he loads it, and then he's like, Pick your he choice. always treats women like nothing. <laughs> he always treats women like nothing. But I, I couldn't help but notice that the first time we have a black Bond girl, every time he interacts with her, he's like talking to her by patting her ass regularly. It's not how you talk to women. It's not. Is that what you guys do at church? Uh, I, do, I do this at home all the time. Okay, yeah, we know. Nice. <laughs> we know. That's different. That's that, that's with that's your. We're all on board with me objectifying my wife. We're good. Yeah, it's okay. That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, They're your yeah. property. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we don't have three people on the podcast. This is this is it. I'm now I'm realizing double backing around. Um, this is this is why. Um, and, and two of them are holding revolvers. It's it's like. <laughs> Oh, I got two revolvers here. So I, oh, he's got two. Okay. Yo, you're going Yosemite Sam up in here. I love it. <laughs> oh, what what's that one on the right? Is that it? Was it's that, a uh, Smith and Wesson four four two PD, so thirty eight plus P pocket thirteen. Yeah, it's dope. All right, a little plus P action. Um, it's cool. For 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 when your GP one hundred's not enough to shoot thirty eight special at him. Uh, I carry this in my pocket at work, so. Uh, this podcast has been like doing it with two Kid Rocks. <laughs> yeah, I want to be the lead singer of uh, Poison. That's if we're gonna. I want to be the. Um, amazing... That's Brett Michaels. He's a legend. Put some respect Brett on his Michaels. name. Every rose has its thorn. He's the emaciated um, Kid Rock. As you'll remember from the Grind episode, we personally don't want nothing but a good time. How could I exist? It don't get better than this. Um, uh, Thank you. Listen, uh, here's what I think I'm going to do now. Uh, abandon all of the plot of this movie. I think that we can't really like go too much further into it other than mentioning two things that I think are important, right? One of them um, is that the movie introduces two uh, major villains, not even two minor villains, but two major villains. One of them is a character named Mr. Big, who is the original character from the novel uh, that this movie is based on. And the other uh, is a character named Kananga. Um, now, one is played by Yafet Kodo, and the other... One is played by Edward Norton, and the other is played by Brad Pitt. Um, and the other, Mr. Big, who is a Harlem uh, drug syndicate leader of sorts, um, when he came on screen originally in the film, I instantly knew that there was some sort of prosthesis going on, that there was some kind of off-coloring of his skin and generally odd vibe to the way that he looked. But uh, as you watch the movie, you start to find out that 
Kananga and Mr. Big are one and the same. Um, Kananga uh, ends up ripping his rubber Mr. Big face off to reveal that he is both villains in the film, which I thought was an awesome fucking twist. I thought it was fantastic, dude. I I literally was was like, what? I have watched it three times and I forgot about that. I do not know that that's what What I'm going to happen. It's so great. What? Right, like, you when you're watching this big earlier in the film, you think he's got, like, a genetic disease. <laughs> yeah. I thought that he had, like, villiligo and, like, some sort of, like, syphilis poisoning, but it yeah, turned out right. he was literally the other dude. Man, you're a fucking film person. How could you not immediately tell that that was just horrible prosthetics? Dan, you watched It Chapter 2 for three hours and didn't realize that all the children were de-aged five years. <laughs> <laughs> That's not that's not the same because I watched it right like shortly after I watched it chapter one. I didn't have a that should have helped time. you even more to realize that they were not the same people. <laughs> I don't watch Stranger Things. I don't care about these no. children or uh, any. Um. Anyway, you're wrong. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. if you if you if you if you want me to show you how much I don't care about them, bring them to my pizza shop. Um, <laughs> I'll bring them underneath your pizza shop. <laughs> that's where that's where the tunnels pick up. As far as the Bond, as the villain Kananga reveal goes, uh, first yeah, of all, I want to yeah. reference that. I think, I think, yeah. uh, if you talk about rubber masks... It's blackface, Josh. No, shut up. It's, it's not where I'm going. Uh, is, <laughs> as far as rubber mask work, though, go right. everyone, when you ask rubber masks in movies, you're going to think Mission Impossible, right? Dude, so I, I think it was for, great. Yeah, I think for its time, once again, you got to put it in a vacuum, 1973 great for 1973 that prosthesis rocked oh my gosh why they couldn't get the hook right but kids yeah they blew their whole budget on the fucking those were two mess. different departments that handled the hook <laughs> and, the, and the rubber face for sure um yeah. the other thing i want to mention uh in terms of major elements that are either controversial or need to be discussed in the overall nature of this film um is oh my god the most problematic character maybe in movie history um played by jane seymour james um and her name is solitaire uh she is a virgin concubine who has generationally been human trafficked to the main bad guy to be his number one consultant on all things magic and her mother generationally yeah generational sex trafficking yeah, I have I have some, Here, some things yes, that need to be. There there are some things that need to be said right off the bat that are problematic. A misuse and disappropriation of all things related to tarot card reading. With that said, tarot cards are fake, right. so I don't care. Okay, I while I am defending a fake institution, that's something the two of you I'm sure do every day in one facet or another. Um, um <laughs> uh, uh um, I defend the fake lack of institution. Um, that's probably its own fake institution. Um, <laughs> I hate you guys. Stand quiet. This is a movie podcast. Um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, what are movies but reflection of the political commentary of the time, Dan? Uh, Dan, I just got a little hard saying that. <laughs> I haven't been hard in um, years. So, uh, I've, I haven't been hard since I saw police cars on fire a few months ago. <laughs> Do you guys want your own private Zoom for a little while? <laughs> You're facilitating I know, I'm this, technically dog. the host, but it does not feel like it today. It's like, it's are you the true time. host of a podcast when your two co-hosts are waving guns at each other? I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Like, yeah, the dynamic. We, we like is to all, talk about what are you going to wave around? You're you're going to wa- wave around your bottle of Jenny Walker. Oh, Jenny Walker, he's about equality. 
we like to talk about on this podcast um, power moves. Dan and I, as hosts, like to make power moves against each other, such as one time he wore sunglasses. But today we're waving actual weapons at each other over a Zoom. Um, for those reasons, I'm going to bow out of the power struggle. I am most definitely the weakest, most beta person here. Uh, it's without a doubt. Um, so don't argue with me about it. I, I'll admit it straight up. Uh, I don't care. Um, uh, okay, okay, guys. Solitaire, uh, who is this ex- incredibly problematic character, who is it like, I would assume probably underage, even though they don't, they don't say it in the movie, but uh, an underage virgin oh, for sure. she's telling concubine um that and damn what have you been doing this whole episode showing boxes of ammo to him like what are you doing is that what you've been holding up you've been holding up weapons and drugs this is out of control you have like three stars on gta right now my dude <laughs> the atm is waiting you are you, you, you are constantly constantly running this thing and I need to fucking shift the dynamic. Right, the two of you talk talk about this. I'm taking this over. <laughs> Incredible. All right. So, uh, damn. I have I have some I have some pretty fire jokes, but I feel like they're uh, they're they're needed for later. I want to know what it is that makes you think this movie is better than Golden Gun, because to me, to me, this movie, with the exception of being uniquely black exploitation doesn't have any of the charm or stakes that any of the other bond films have whereas golden gun the stakes were on paper strong they were just poorly executed but at least in the meantime there was there was something unique and shown about the cinematic approach to it the all the set design was very bizarre oh, you guys are talking about the movie the time. <laughs> Is this like a gag? Uh, That's a gag, isn't it? Dance back. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was a gag. Yeah, pull your AR out. That was a gag. Um, Okay, so Solitaire is a uh, virginal concubine who (laughs) is captured by the bad guy who's loaned out to James Bond. Who loses her powers once James Bond. Yeah, I mean, the the part of her character. Yeah, the part of her character in which if she is fucked, she loses her. Reverse lightsaber complex. It's like a reverse rogue from X Men complex. Um, her character is very disturbing. Uh, I really don't know what to think about her in general, other than Jane Seymour is so fucking hot. She's so goddamn oh hot. Oh my gosh, dude. Um, she's so hot in this movie. I, like, had trouble watching it. I was, like, couldn't stop thinking about her. She's so hot. Um, that being she's, said... She's, like, dealing the cards in that scene where, uh, he's testing... Kananga's testing to see if she still has her abilities... And, uh, like, she's there, and I'm like, oh, I can't even focus. Like, I don't care if James Bond lives or dies. Yeah. <laughs> you know that all You know that all the yeah. Yafik Kodo had to do to check if her abilities were still working was see if her hymen had been busted, right? Oh! oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to, like, Game of Thrones virginity out, level. Let's just point out that ultimately <laughs> the message here is that James Bond is such a smooth actor that he literally fucked the magic out of a woman. <laughs> <and> a psychic. <laughs> Too true. Um, so, so just to be clear, I, I need, I just need to touch this. I've been dying to touch okay. upon this. So, this whole tarot card thing, James egregiously and predatorily manipulates. Oh, yeah. In one of the most absurd pickup moves I've ever seen in my life, where there's this one tarot card that's listed as the lover, where the implication is 
by her pulling it for him that they need to fuck. And then as they're going to fuck, it's revealed, sure enough, as everyone saw from a mile away, that James had modified the deck so that every card was that card. Which, first of all, James has no trouble getting women throughout the entirety of the series. Um, like, who... Like, who did he get to have these cards made? You would think it would have to be Money Penny, who we know is like pining after him. Did she think these cards were being made for her? She probably went home and cut herself after designing these. Like it's just a true scumbag move. The forethought and effort needed to pull off a pickup move of this nature when you've already easily gotten every woman in sight is truly so. Can I also say, Dan, that when you were talking about um, the scene where Mr. Big is trying to determine whether or not James has soiled uh, the tarot card reader, soiled. Um, he, he, yeah, he first begins his investigation by pointing at her breasts and then turning to James Bond and going, did you mess with that? Yeah, yeah, that, that happened. I fucking love that line, dude. Fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, me- the message being that black people objectify women the same way, but also without tact. Um, yeah, you're right. No rap song's ever been made like that. All right, relax, Josh. Wow, rap didn't even this exist is yet. getting anti-rap. We're, we're, getting to, we're getting to the hip-hop straw man. Hip-hop, the hibbity? <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're yeah. not doing that. I, I yeah, won't. black on black. We're, I'm counting down until till Josh says the phrase "black on black crime." <laughs> All right, relax. I'm not actually Ben Shapiro. We're just gonna tell everybody up front that Josh is actually black. You can't see him. Oh. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yo, yo, you better cool with that. He's gonna kick that. All right, guys. I need to pretty tan. I need to bring I need to bring this to almost um, a close here in terms of talking about certain elements in the movie, but I want to talk about the most important element in this whole fucking movie. Um, there's nothing more important than J.W. Pepper. Uh, there's nothing more yes. stunning or brave in this day and age than a character like J.W. Pepper. Um, J.W. Pepper is a character that we met in The Man with the Golden Gun. He's pretty much like a big, fat Southern man who has a lip of tobacco in at all times and yells racist things. Uh, As we determined, he yelled a lot about zips uh, in Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, In this one, to be fair, while he did call black people boy, he also called everyone boy. Uh, So I'm not going to take that as a valid criticism. Yeah, that's Mark. Now, I want to drop a fact on you. Earlier, The Man with the Golden Gun. So he's going downhill. You guys might you guys might know J.W. Pepper as the coach of the 1919 Chicago White Sox in the movie Eight Man Out. <laughs> I cannot believe I know that reference. Um, Dan, you want to hear an amazing fact about J.W. Pepper that I found in researching this film and watching the lost documentary about Live and Let Die? Yeah, more amazing than the fact that you watched a documentary about this fucking trash pile. Um, yeah, uh, yes, okay, I'll share with you then. Thank you for asking. Um, so, um, the producer and writer of this film was basically saying a few things about race and how it got involved in this movie and what they were allowed to and not allowed to do. Um, and basically, it came down to a few things that I thought were unbelievably fascinating. The first of which is that the character of Solitaire, the fortune reading girl, uh, was originally going to be Diana Ross. Um, they said that they did not want to have a POC. They did not want to have a POC in the role. They wanted it to be a white woman, like an Ian Fleming's original racist novel. Um, <laughs> um, it's it's nice of them to refer to them as POCs. How woke of them? 
When it came to then every black person in the film being a villain, that also bothered the writer of the film. And he came to the studio and said, can I have a couple characters who are good and black? And they were like, nah, no, we're not there yet. Um, yeah, they, they were like, uh, we're trying to make a realistic picture here. <laughs> the character and inception of J.W. Pepper was the writer, instead of being able to show positive representations of blacks, he wanted to include a negative representation of a white. So he created J.W. Pepper as one of the first SJW facsimiles in film history um, as a character that would make white people look shitty. And for that... Yeah, I I respect that they chose a police officer for that When the second I watched it, I was like, Dan Swollen. Major, major <laughs> salute to not only J.W. Pepper, but to his creator, to the actor who played him, who is not Southern or retarded at all, who in his interviews was very well spoken and was like, <laughs> aren't those one and the same? By the way, also, J.W. Pepper wore prosthetic. Mm, he wore where? a giant. That was a fire joke that went by the he way. Wrote a gi- he wore a giant fake stomach. Um because he said that quote uh, he wore a giant fake cock <laughs> with his fucking cast face. where i'm from police are all fat <laughs> uh, i, I would say yeah, so, the jw pepper roll was awesome because it awesome yeah it's the only thing that grounds this series in reality they went through the louisiana border and this guy's like oh i see someone going out of fat better get it <laughs> <laughs> all right you're hired um so J.W. Pepper shows up during um, possibly the best scene in the movie. It was the scene at which Agreed. I shifted over from being like, I hate this movie, it's boring me to death, to, oh, yeah. Um, and that was a 40-minute boat chase, which, um, according to the documentary, got the Guinness World Record for most boat jumps in a single scene of... <laughs> Of a movie. Wait, was, um, was Dukes of Hazard? They never watched me play any round of Was Dukes of Hazard out yet? Like, were they like they were like trying to capitalize on like the ridiculous redneck jump market? Um, <laughs> uh, in the in, in, in the watching of the documentary, come to find <laughs> what is it with rednecks and needing to go up ramps all the time? <laughs> Dan doesn't know how to handle not having full control of the conversation, and I'm loving it. All right, let's just sum this up. James Bond, live and let die. Uh, James Bond is such a shit character that he's literally an amalgam of what generic shitty white dudes see as awesome, but is just totally grotesque and lame. This movie is like those memes where it's like we let an AI watch a thousand hours of blah, blah, blah and write a screenplay if that 100 hours was him reading Tucker Max essays and scotch labels. He's a hero for people who think Tucker Max is cool and not a total piece of shit. This movie somehow is a better looking movie than Golden Gun, but the acting and writing is just as awful, so it somehow feels worse. And why are dudes always chasing James Bond on a dirt bike? It literally never works. (laughs) All they do is fly off the road. The chase scenes with a bus is so slow and boring. It looks like the original Gone in 60 Seconds, even though it was made for 10 times the budget. 
And um, I think my problem is consistent in that it literally doesn't matter what happens in this movie. None of the villains are in the series. None of the villains matter. The plot is totally superfluous. The acts follow the exact same pacing. They hit the same beats every time. Ironically, it turns out Golden Gun is the only one with a unique spin because they tried to, to make a 60s psychedelic fucking clusterfuck in the beginning and end. And um, also there's a scene where there's a boat, the boat chase flies through a couple's wedding. And uh, the bride starts crying because the, her whole wedding was destroyed by a boat crashing through it. And right as she starts crying, the groom starts laughing and they didn't catch that in the editing. <laughs> like her crying is so over the top that the actor playing the groom starts laughing and they have to cut away from it. And um, I really appreciated that one single time in this movie, they tricked me into thinking there was a musical cue that wasn't Live and Let Die, but it was really just Live and Let Die at like one it always speed was. as they slowly sped it up. Everything always time. ended up being. saved so Live much money not having to have any other score to this film besides the song Live and Let Die. Um, yeah, I agree with most of that, um, but I uh, disagree that it is not that it's worse than golden gun that seems like a a statistical impossibility to me but um uh yeah i mean any movie where famed actor yafit koto is shot with shark repellent that causes his body to lift out of a full body of water go sailing into the sky inflate and explode into a thousand pieces is an automatic fucking yeah. win dude you need to get your sense right of, of you need to get your sense of fun together and try to have a good time. Some other fun things that <laughs> I found out about this movie that make it um, incredible uh, is that um, Jane Seymour was on the double-decker bus when its uh, roof was ripped off and was on that bus when it spun around, did all of its stunts. They just left her on there. <laughs> and she said that she saw her life flash before her eyes um, many times. Yeah. This just in, Dan is surprised in the early 70s a woman's wife was expendable. Yikes. Um, I like that Dan Lyons is getting more stoned and less excited with Dan Endon's fiery comments. Yeah, I mean, I've had enough. We're at the point where he took five minutes to go get every piece of communist literature in his house instead of podcasting. <laughs> That's not even close. That's just what's next to my desk. Uh, also found out in in this movie uh, that many of the people involved were meeting with actual tarot card readers and voodoo people throughout. Um, Jane, Jane Seymour met with a tarot card reader who told her she'd marry three times, and she did, um, and said that Oopie. being told that guided her decisions at several points in her life. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah, that's what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're not that's how you explain all tarot carding and psychic reading. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And here's where things get truly amazing. Tarot card reading told me I was going to be in debt and fucking cynical and miserable for the rest of my life. Crazy. I need stone Dan and then back. This is awful. Um, no. My favorite aspect, my favorite best. aspect of this film uh, and favorite moment maybe in the whole movie is when James Bond, whilst wearing crocodile shoes, runs across five crocodiles. <laughs> um, um, Escape. That was so fucking lit. That was so fucking lit and that was like some Flora's lava and shit. And it was 100% real. No, it wasn't. Um, so the owner of um, Peter's the owner of, all right, so when they were essentially uh, scouting for this movie and looking at locations, they were down in the bayou and came across an alligator farm owned by a man named Down on the bayou. Owned by a man named Kananga. 
down. Wait, oh is that really God. how it was It was owned by a guy named Kananga? It was owned by a man named Kananga. And um, what ended up happening was the only, uh, as I said before, the only villain in the film uh, that was in the book was uh, Mr. Big. Um, Kananga, as a character, was invented for the movie. And they named him after the alligator guy. Oh, um, awesome. In this documentary, they show uh, Roger Moore having an interview about it maybe 20 years later and he's saying this guy Kananga they dressed him just like me um, and made him up to look exactly like me and they tied the feet of these alligators to the oh. ground in the water and he ran across all five of them and then he says he looks at the camera and he's like but that footage doesn't exist and I've never seen it but I was there to see it in reality cut to the fucking footage existing five shots of this dude right and it's on separate days so the first day he runs across it and they all are like what the fuck and like turning around biting him and like going after him second one he does it they're expecting it at this point it's the same day they literally one bites onto his foot rips a shoe off of his foot the man is literally thrown down into the water and all the alligators are toppling on him he's like pushing him off with his bare fucking hands dude um, then they go on, it gets more and more successful, and on the final day, he did it, and that is the shot that they used in the film. And the fact that that is a real fucking stunt is should be praised alone as a fucking fact, that those were real alligators. Like, And you see this scene parodied in cartoons and shit like that, where they have a character run on the heads of alligators. That's like yeah. something I've seen in like Fantasia or some sort of comedy yeah, aping I of mean, it. They that's Indiana Jones. They really did it. They re and they didn't have to. They could have had five prosthetic um alligators i mean you guys didn't notice that it was real i on my first watch did not know that it was real uh yeah so that was a real fucking stunt um and then roger moore cues up that um during this shoot i mean he talks about he had kidney stones a ton of the stuntmen got injured the boat scene which took weeks to do and they did all on paper with paper maps and shit um ended up destroying like a hundred boat boats that they got from the studio. Um, it was just completely insane. And like seeing all of that background stuff only reinforced that the movie at least had a tremendous amount of effort put into it. Um, you got at one point documentary that I'm, this is awesome. Yeah, like this makes it so it much better. It was really cool. Um, there was a footage in the documentary of an actual voodoo priest um, who was giving Roger Moore a reading and said that Roger Moore would have a son, which, by the way, Roger Moore conceived his son on the set of the movie um, and predicted that he would dedicate his life. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> he was the first of three husbands for the tarot card reading, Jane Seymour. <laughs> um, uh, and... Um, also predicted that he would dedicate his life to social work and helping others, uh, to which Roger Moore became a UNICEF ambassador, and that became his life work after being James Bond. Um, yep, Black Power. Um, and um, uh, just just real quick. I'm sorry, I don't. Just real quick, another fun fact or two uh, before we're done here with this is that. Um, uh, Roger Moore's regimen. Now think about all the people from Marvel, not that Dan has ever seen any of those, but all the people from Marvel and superhero movies that have to do these rigorous trainings, diets for years. This is Roger Moore's training regimen to become James Bond. Quote, a half an hour of swimming and a half an hour of exercising. <laughs> That's what I do. Respect. And in his private pool. <laughs> 
crazy this how he fact. and I have ended up with such different lives. I mean, uh, my exercise regimen sounds about exactly the same as him, so it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I just swallow, swim in wallows of despair. Um, and uh, that is about as much factual stuff as I, I care to share. Um, I think we've made everything crystal clear at this point. Topple the patriarchy, communism forever, guns are fucking sweet. Kananga sounds a lot like Scaramanga, but now we know that it had nothing to do with it. I'm not really sure how that coincidence ended up happening, but it's very fascinating in and of itself. Dan and it's rocking the black power sign. We've all been showing each other ammo drugs all day. I think we're pretty much good. How are you guys feeling? We, 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 I feel that we have not done uh, six degrees of Henry. Did you do your six degrees of Henry? I couldn't oh do it. I, I didn't. God. I don't have that kind of skill set. You know, I started doing it this morning and I was like, just kind of tapping into the well of disappointment I usually draw from in terms of your effort, Dan. I knew that if I didn't remind you, there'd be no way that you'd do it. And you did it. You proved me wrong. I didn't do it. Let's hear it. Oh, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this this is the segment in which we compare every single movie within six degrees of separation to the seminal masterwork, Book of Henry, directed by Colin Trevorrow. This was was a hard one. All right. So what's this movie called? Live and Let Dan. Dan. I'm curious to see where you went with this. Really curious. Starring Roger Moore, who played essentially the M character in Spice World, which featured Meatloaf, um, which, who was in Fight Club, starring Edward Norton, who was in The Painted Veil (laughs) with Naomi Watts. That felt like more than six. It was way more than six. But you're... Your effort there. is fucking nightly. So. It was it was seven. I'll take <laughs> Thank seven. you for your your deep seated efforts there. Um, that's two okay. W's for you, man. That makes uh, the official score of six degrees of Henry two to one. Dan Enden wins the season. Uh, granted, it was only on a short, semi corrupt amount of information, yeah. but that's how us Democrats do it. We don't care. And and did I did that's I? That's really how we get win? all our W's. Ultimately, my whole argument was that. I'm willing to do season two as long as I don't have to watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) My James Bond rant. Uh, Definitely Roger Moore is the worst Bond. The best Bond is George Lazenby, but that's for a different day. I mean, Uh, I grew up with Moore. Moore and... and, and I agree that the best Bond is George Lazenby. Hmm. Yeah, George Lazenby was in one. He was a model that basically tricked them into letting him be in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. And that was very good. But anyway, uh, Timothy Dalton plays in only two, right, in the 80s. And they were very 80s. I've never, but, seen, I've never seen either. Um, in, uh, my brain's not working. But uh, in one of them, it is a very similar plot to uh, Live and Let Die in the sense that it's drug-focused. And it's another one with, ironically, Felix Leiter. And it's set in Colombia oh. instead with cocaine. Right. <laughs> So, shocker, the 80s. Which one is However, this again? Uh, that is, um, why is my brain not working? It's got it's got the word live or die in it. I mean, Live and let cocaine. <laughs> I mean, either way, you're... Um, that would be a license Ooh, to kill. License Dan. to kill. Thanks for being the expert here, Dan. I'm, I'm being Jamie. Well, you're, you're being Boyer. Or what Boyer we hired him to do. <laughs> I do love how our last guest was too scared to say anything negative about Sonic, and our current guest is waving literal weaponry around. <laughs> that is an awesome jump for us. So thank you so much for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you that. guys for having me. Uh, it, it was a battle, but uh, I'm glad to be part of it, and I'm glad to uh, fight James Bond's good fight. 
Here's I'm my with question, you, brother. Josh. Are you going? Are you going to share this with people? Absolutely. You know, I have no shame. You want? You want people? Oh, to yeah. Hear this? My coworkers already know I did it. So uh, <laughs> it's only. Do you think that's going to hurt or harm my prospects? Of it getting definitely a job will help me and hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> they already know I'm a gun nut. Like they already know. Like I had a coworker over my house, and they like found a revolver just lying on my kitchen table, and they were like, "What is this here?" I was like, "Oh my Just God. so everyone knows, Josh was only waving guns around. I was waving the drugs around. So, just so <laughs> his, his future and current employers know, I am the drug addict, not him. Yeah, right. I'm just a good off right. I don't do drugs. I just have weapons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm so done. Um, thank you so much uh, to everyone and for listening to Movie Blues as a podcast in general. Um, we're going to be hitting you with an epilogue side piece, which I will now record with Dan. Um, and we will uh, do a postmortem on the bracket. We will do a postmortem on the season. Uh, we will probably say things behind Josh's back now that he can't defend himself. And it's going to be a great time. <laughs> That's the life I live. Dan, you want to hit us with a hot baby? <laughs> like like most Democrats, you want to hit me with a hot baby? So I would. I need you to stop describing me as a Democrat. I know I it makes you so mad. <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. Hey, you want to give us like, a baby? I can't. This is not what Democrats do. <laughs> You're closer to Joe Biden. You're closer to Joe Biden with that revolver. Yeah, right. right. Again, yeah, yeah. held yeah, up so a I'll gun. Fuck myself. All right, let me pull my cock out. Right. I feel like I'm being held hostage. Um, this is the most aggressive me, Zoom me, I've me, ever me. been a part of in my life. Literally being brandished weaponry. Go ahead, Dan. Baby.